want to uh, bring to your attention that we're, we're going to do our best to have a Thanksgiving Eve service. And uh, that's, sorry, yeah, no, Thanksgiving Eve, that's right. And sometimes I have uh, people that are all scheduled to do uh, testimonies for us, and I don't have that this, this time. What I'm going to do is what we haven't done for a long time, and that is have an open microphone. And that means that if you want to share something or you want to give a word of praise or something like that, uh, you'll have an opportunity to come forward and, and use the microphone and do that and hope that people will take advantage of that. And then I also have a devotional for you that night, and we'll uh, have some singing and things like that. So I hope you'll make it and be able to be here, and that starts at 7 o'clock on Wednesday. Well, we're breaking from Ezra because we want to talk about Thanksgiving a little bit. So if you would please take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 17. Now, we're going to look at a lot of different scriptures this morning, but basically Luke 17, uh, verses 11 to 19. And I'll read that here in just a minute. As I mentioned earlier, I want us to remember that uh, being thankful doesn't just mean to God, and it doesn't just mean to other people, it means both. Uh, We should be thankful to other people for what they do for us. We should be thankful to God for what he does for us. And so I'd like that to be a little bit of what we're thinking about as we go through this, if my voice holds up. I just want to ask you this, is it me or are there fewer and fewer people that are saying thank you anymore? Uh, Do you get fewer thank you notes, and even though it's a simple thing to do uh, on texting or email, people send thank yous that way? Uh, Do you get too many of those anymore? And I think there's a lot less going on. Are you a person, personally, are you a person who says thank you to people? What is a thank you? Well, there are things going on in a thank you, like an acknowledgement that someone has done something on your behalf something nice, something helpful, something that is going to be with you for a while. There is a verbal, or if you will, a heart acknowledgement that someone has done some act of benevolence or kindness to you, somebody who has had compassion for you or generosity towards you or just goodwill towards you, somebody who has looked out for your well-being in some area. Thanks is a way to say to someone, I am grateful for all that you have done, or I'm grateful for this particular act that you just did for me. It is to recognize that some act of love or kindness has happened to you, and you want to make sure that people know what you think about that. Now, that is very different than believing that somebody just owed you what they did for you, and they owed you a show of kindness or compassion, or they owed it to you to give you something, and you say, well, uh, you owed me that anyway, and you did it, or I didn't really want what you did in the first place, so I'm not going to say thank you for that. Those people think, well, I didn't ask you for that. I didn't tell you to do that, and you didn't have to do that. No thanks required, so they just walk off. There there are different levels of thank yous. Little bitty things, like uh, I notice the older I get, Uh, Younger people at the post office like to hold the door open for me Uh, because in my feeble condition, you can tell I can't can't pull a door open by myself. But anyway, I usually try to hold it for others. But if somebody holds a door open for me, I I stop mid-door, look at them, and say thank you and walk on. There's always a smile on their face when you do that. Uh, People, I think, want to be recognized. They want to be thanked. If they do something kind, why not? Why shouldn't you? A thank you for someone saving your life Well, that's going to be a little bit different than a thank you for somebody holding the door for you. 
somebody saves your life, you might feel thankfulness every morning when you wake up and every day, and you might write them thank you notes all the time and stuff like that. If they just hold the door, just, just a, a short thank you does for that. But the question I want us to ask each day of ourselves is, do I have a thankful heart? Am I really thankful for what God has done and for what other people have done for me? And I think that's really the issue at Thanksgiving. I think that's what it was designed for us to stop and remember. It's too bad that in our culture we have to stop and remind ourselves that we have to be thankful. I mean, it's ridiculous that they should have to remind us. Let's have a day of Thanksgiving and see if we can remember to do that. Now, I don't know all the particulars of what went into Thanksgiving. Uh, Maybe the people that raised turkeys had a big part of it, but I don't know. But the point is, we know what it's about. What would be wrong with acknowledging the worth of another person who did something nice for you? That would be a great thing to do. And am I thankful always to the one, now I'm talking about Jesus, to the one who saved my eternal soul and gave me life forever. Do I recognize that every morning that I wake up, it was by the decree of God that the breath that I took the night before allowed me to live the next day? God holds your breath in his hands. He gave you the breath of life, and someday he'll take it away. And we need to be thankful every single day that I have one more day that I can serve Jesus, one more day that I can be used by him, because that's what really counts. Well, I love this passage. I've used it before. I think when you've been somewhere over 25 years, you may have to use the same passage a few times on a couple things. But what I wrote is brand new. Uh, But what's in the Bible is not brand new, and you're very well aware of it. So let's look at Luke chapter 17. And I want to start reading in verse 11. Now, we had a pretty good painting up here of what that may have looked like, uh, where Jesus was walking along, and this group of lepers called out and said, Hey, Jesus, Master, uh, would, you, would you heal us? They had leprosy. We're going to talk about what that meant. And for them, it meant isolation worse than what we've been through uh, with the COVID-19. So it says in verse 11, while he was on his way to Jerusalem, so here's Jesus. He's on his way walking back to Jerusalem. He's got his disciples with him. He was passing between Samaria and Galilee. Now, that's not normal. Normally, he would just come straight down and go right right down into to Galilee and right into Jerusalem. But now he's come down and he's turned, and instead of going south, which is where he's supposed to be going, uh, or, he, or that's normal to go there, he turns, now he's walking on an east-west trail on a border between Galilee and Samaria. So he is passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance, met him. Now, it's instructive that they stood at a distance. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They have leprosy. They are not to mingle with the people of the town. So he's the first group that he meets because they're on the outside of town. And they can't be in town. They have to be on the outside of town. And they raised their voice, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he, that is Jesus, when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. In other words, the leprosy that had taken over the skin on their bodies, the leprosy was all clearing up and they were being healed. So imagine, there's a group, I don't know how far away they were, but they were a ways away. And they said, Jesus, Master, save us, cleanse us. And he says to them, go show yourselves to the priests. Now we'll find out why you have to do that in a few minutes. And so they just turn and they go. And as they're going, 
obviously very quickly, they start to see, hey, my skin is clearing up. The wounds on my legs that I got because I can't even feel my legs anymore, those things are healed up. And as they're going, it's, it's obvious what's happening. Now, now, here's the heart of the issue. Verse 15. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet. Now, that's a position of worship, isn't it? Giving thanks to him. And he was, believe it or not, a Samaritan. He was somebody that the Jews didn't like. The Jews didn't want to be around them. He was somebody that they wouldn't even want to touch. But he's a Samaritan. Now, we're going to believe then that the other nine were all Jewish. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? Obviously there was. But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? He's talking about the Samaritan. In other words, was no one from the tribes of Israel who nine of them just got healed, not able to come back and give glory to God, and the only one willing to do that is somebody that we would least expect would stop and give glory to God. And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now understand this. As he walks away, he was being made well in his body. The leprosy was disappearing. His skin was clearing up. So what does Jesus mean when he comes back and says, your faith has made you well? He's already well. But no, he wasn't. There's two kinds of being well. There's the well we can have physically, and there is the being well that we can have spiritually. This man got what no other man there got that day. He got eternal life, and he was thankful to Jesus for it. All right, let's look carefully at this together. In verses 11 and 12, where we started, I want you to see that Jesus is compassionate to anyone who asks him for mercy. I wonder if you have that in your heart. Are you willing to be compassionate to anybody who asks you? Or are there certain people that if they ask you something and it demands some mercy, you would say, no, I'm really not. I'm too busy to help you. Jesus was not like that. Now, in verse 11, most likely for ministry reasons, Jesus seldom took the shortest path between two places. I believe that he was following the leading of the Spirit of God, and where he was going was where God had ministry for him. And I'd like you to think of your life. I would like you to think of it every day as, today I want to go where Jesus has ministry waiting for me. I want to go and do the ministry that Jesus gave me. Now, most of the time that's going to be in the place where you work, for sure, because that's where you go every day. But don't worry about getting taken off your normal path once in a while. Just think of it this way. I'm off my normal path. This is not where I wanted to be today. I wonder what Jesus has for me. I wonder what Jesus has waiting for me. And then look for that ministry. That's what Jesus did. Here we find him and his disciples traveling from east to west along a border between Galilee, a place where Jews lived, a place where Jews loved Yahweh, and Samaria, a place where people who were both uh, Gentile and Jewish mixed together that the Israelites didn't like, and there's a, there's a whole nation of those people right there in Samaria, and people usually didn't want to go through Samaria. When they came out of Galilee, uh, if you were a good priest or a Levite, you'd walk all the way around Samaria, and then you'd come back in to get to the bottom part of Israel. Well, Jesus is walking on the border, and he gets to a border town. 
That explains how he runs into a group of men that would not have been a group if we were in the interior of Galilee or back in Judah. And that's because there's a Samaritan with these guys. Now the point is, we're all sick, we all have leprosy, we all have to stay outside of town, so these guys congregate together, and now it really doesn't matter whether this one's unclean or this one's unclean, they're all unclean. And so Jesus runs into a group that has a Samaritan in it. That's not going to happen in the interior of Galilee or Judah, but it's happening here. And so that's where this guy comes from. In verse 12, he enters an unnamed village, because that's not important for us to know. And he's met by ten men. They all have the disease of leprosy. Leprosy begins to attack the skin and then the nerve endings, a lot like what diabetics get where they can't feel their feet anymore. And then they cut their foot and they don't even know it. Then it gets infected and then they could die or they could lose a leg. It's, it's just a terrible thing. Leprosy could produce the same thing. They stood their distance because of the stipulations of the Mosaic law. So you might think, hey, here's some guys, maybe even this Samaritan, although I don't know he's a Samaritan yet, but maybe they're staying back because they keep the law of God. And maybe they're religious people. Maybe they know Mosaic law. Well, let's look at it. Leviticus chapter 13, 45. We're answering the question, why are these guys standing at a distance? Why don't they just come running up and touch Jesus and think that they can get healed that way? Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. So here's what the law has to say about those with leprosy. And so I'm looking at Leviticus 13, 45, and 46. It says this, As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache, and he will cry out, Unclean, unclean. So it was like an early face mask, if you will. And if you see a leper, the guy holds his hand over his mouth. And so you don't get too close. He cries, unclean, unclean, stay away. His clothes were ripped and everything about him says, this guy is not what he's supposed to be. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside of the camp or outside of the town or outside of the city. Now look at Numbers chapter 5, and I want to look at verses 2 and 3. Numbers 5, 2 and 3. Yahweh speaks to Moses and says, Command the sons of Israel that they send away from the camp every leper, and everyone having a discharge, and everyone who is unclean because of the dead person. He's talking about defiling yourself by touching a dead person in those days. All right, you shall send away both male and female. You shall send them outside the camp so that they will not defile or corrupt the purity of uh, their camp where I dwell in their midst. So if you get leprosy, the first thing you do is you walk away from your family, you'll walk away from your job, you'll walk away from your house, and you go live on the outskirts of town. And you might beg for help and beg for food and beg for medical attention. Nobody's going to touch you. Nobody's going to help you. Uh, they maybe some, throw some food your way or something like that. But you've just lost everything. And you have to be an outcast outside of town. And that's where you stay and you separate yourself. If somebody clean is coming by, you yell, unclean, unclean, which is like saying, go around me, don't get near me. And so their social contact is only going to be with the other lepers. And it was a very lonely life. They couldn't wait to get back home. Until they got healed, they could not go back home. 
They were viewed as those who need to be socially isolated. They could not return to their families or their jobs and normal life until they'd been cleared by the priests to do so. So the reason Jesus said, go away and show yourselves to the priest is because Leviticus 13 outlines that if you happen to be getting well from your leprosy, which didn't always happen, in fact, it was more seldom they didn't get well, if you happen to be getting well, you had to go to the priest and say, hey, uh, look over my legs and my arms and check it out, and they'd look for a discoloration in the skin. A certain color meant one thing, another color meant another, and the priest would look at him and, and he would say, you are clean, do the ritual washings and everything you have to go through, you can go home and get back to your life. If they weren't clean or the spot was the wrong color, said this is still leprosy and you, and you can't be here yet. You need to go. That needs to be cleared up. So the priest was... Uh, my little $200 cord here is, is cracking and I knew this was going to happen, so I'll try to make it work so you can hear me. All right? In terms as the, it, it seems as though they might be God-fearing men because they're obeying the law. Or maybe they're being made to by the people in town. We don't really know. But they seem they're concerned about keeping the law. They stood at a distance. They know who Jesus is. They know what he's capable of. They've heard about him everywhere, that he can heal people. This is their chance for healing. And I think that's the number one thing on people's minds. This, this Jesus, he can heal me. Can you imagine what it was like for Jesus everywhere he went? Once his reputation had spread, can you imagine being Jesus and the crowds that pressed in on him all the time? People were carrying sick people for miles and miles to be where he was going to be, wherever he was holding a revival or wherever he was preaching. They would crowd around him, and they just made it impossible for him to get any rest. People saw him as a man who could cure their ills for free, and they're mostly thinking about physical ills. He was constantly being uh, asked by people to help him. It never quit. Would you look with me at Mark chapter 3 and verse 10? <clears throat> Mark 3.10 says, uh, For he had healed many, with the result that all those who had infect afflictions pressed around him in order to touch him. They just wanted to touch Jesus. There was a woman that was having trouble with a flow of blood, and she managed to squeeze through the crowd and touch Jesus on the robe. <laughs> Scared to death. He turns around and the ladies go, uh-oh. He said, who touched me? <laughs> you know, who touched me? And he just wanted to find out. And he, he pronounced that woman as clean and free of an illness that she had had for many, many years. Well, being Jesus wasn't easy. Everybody wanted something from Jesus, but not everybody wanted the right thing from Jesus, which is healing for the soul. While you're in Mark, turn over to chapter 6 and verse 31 where it says, and he said to them, he's to his, to his apostles, he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest and rest. That word is specifically used to gain rest from some work or some toil. Rest a while, for there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Have you been so busy before, everybody wanted everything from you that you couldn't even stop and, and eat? Jesus finally said, you know what, we need to get away here, we need to give you guys some rest, and he needed rest too. Jesus did not have a website, 
Jesus did not have a cell phone. He did not have texting capabilities or email or Instagram or Twitter. Uh, you didn't have to have Jesus, you know, put out something that says, here's where I'm going to be, come follow me. Uh, I think there was times it would be nice if they said, you know, we'd like a little break and we'd like not everybody to show up. Everybody's coming, despite all that stuff. He doesn't have a secretarial staff, but everywhere he went, crowds pressed in on him and everybody wants something from Jesus Christ. Jesus' desire was to show compassion. There was no end to the need everywhere he went. I want you to remember there's no end to the need that people have. And we need more of us to be involved in loving people and helping people the best that we can so that we meet that need in various places around our community. And I'm, I'm uh, glad to say uh, I see our group as a group that does a great job at that, but there's more we can do. In 13 and 14, people ask Jesus for mercy, and he gives it to them. In verse 13, they know who Jesus is. They cry out for mercy, his healing of them. And notice that in seeking his healing power, they speak to him with respect. They call him master because they want something. I'd have to say that most of the transients that I run into as a minister uh, in my lifetime, they first tell me that they're Christians. When they see me and it's a church, they say, hello, brother, uh, what's your last name, Hubbard? Hello, brother, Hubbard. And uh, they act like Christians. Most of them are not. They use God talk and they talk submission to Jesus when they want money, but when you see their life, because I've actually found some of them later other places doing things that you should not do and what Christians wouldn't do, uh, they talk a good show, but they're not doing it. The, they only go to churches for help because they know churches sometimes give them more help if they just go ask. So they have a lot of familiarity with what church people are going to ask and what they're going to say. If you start to say, do you know Jesus? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus. Yeah, don't forget, forget about it. I'm, I'm really good with him, brother. I, I just could use about 50 bucks, that's all. And uh, they know the answers we want to hear, and they're good at giving them because they do it all day long everywhere. And uh, the point is, people are coming to Jesus. They want something, but not everybody wants what really is important that Jesus has to give. In verse 14, Jesus just sees them and immediately launches into helping them. He didn't have to go to town first, relax in the cafe, and, you know, have some water and eat first, then I'll deal with it. He just dealt with it. From a distance, Jesus heals them by telling them, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, it would have to take some kind of faith for them to turn around and go. But they did that. And uh, they had clearance then to return to their lives there is an element of faith here on their part, but as we shall see, it is not the faith that will get you into heaven. They turn to leave, and as they're turning and going, their skin gets clear, and they're healed. And they can tell that very quickly. They have, no, they, they have no choice, they think, to get to the priest as fast as I can go. I can go back home. I can see my wife. I can see my kids, or I can see my husband. I can get back to work. All this is great. I can't wait to get to the priest. They have a choice. And one person made the right choice. One person found healing that the other nine did not. And he stopped by choice, and he thanked and worshipped Jesus. Or they could go to the priest as fast as they can run and get back to their families. This guy probably did not spend more than 10 minutes thanking Jesus. Probably that's twice as what he actually spent. And it changed his eternity. It changed his eternity. I have to admit, sometimes something will happen, and God will answer a prayer that we've had for one of our church people. Maybe somebody's been healed or a marriage has been saved or something like that. And uh, I want to come in here and thank him. 
Not that this is more holy than in my office, but I just want to come in here and do that. And sometimes I've walked out the door and I get maybe halfway to my car and think, you know what? God did a great thing. What are you doing? What are you doing? So I come back and unlock the doors and come here and thank him. I don't want to be like these nine. I want to be like those who recognize the hand of Jesus. And it's okay to stop and come back and do what you're supposed to do. Now it's true that, listen to this, it's true that Jesus often healed people who did not believe in him as Messiah or Savior. There is more than just physical healing that the Savior offers. I run into people at the hospital when I'm praying for them. Really all they want God for is to get well. And once they have that, they don't do anything about a relationship with him. Luckily, there's uh, some that do want healing that way, and that makes it worthwhile. In verses 15 and 16, sometimes the people would, would, uh, we would least expect turn out to be those who have a heart for Jesus, and that's what's going on here. Samaritans are looked down upon as people who are not sensitive to God. They were the result of an intercultural marriage between Gentiles and Jews, and they were despised and seen as unholy. And uh, the Jews got that from the Old Testament, and they, and they ran with it. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. He's talking about the peoples of the nations, the Hittites, Gergeshites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Hittites. And he says to them, You will not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of Yahweh will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. So he says, don't intermarry with them, don't mingle with them. And we would like to say to our young, young people in high school and college, don't, don't date an unbeliever. Don't date somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ. Don't think that you're going to be their evangelist and, and lead them to Christ. Uh, that doesn't always happen. That's a, that's a terrible risk that you take. Don't be unequally yoked because an unsaved partner will turn your heart from Jesus Christ and from following him. So anyway, they were looked down upon. So what is Jesus doing ministering to one of those? Now hold on to that question. In verse 15, one of the ten turns back, seeing that he is healed, and he loudly glorifies God for what he did. The nine are silent except for maybe shouts of joy as they run along because they get to go home, but nobody is shouting out glories to God except one man. He did it alone. Strangely, the others saw and heard him, but they kept right on going. Have you ever seen somebody doing the right thing and you just keep right on going when you could help or be a part of it? In verse 16, he fell on his face before Jesus, a sign of worship, of thanksgiving, and he was worshiping the Lord, and he was a Samaritan. Somebody that supposedly is not sensitive to the things of God. Somebody who doesn't care about God. They just want to get healed and get their ticket back home and then forget about God. Jesus does not look at the color of a man or woman's skin. He doesn't care if you're a Samaritan or, or if you're Chinese or if you're some, some other ethnic group. He doesn't care if you're from England. He doesn't care if you're Irish. He doesn't care anything about what skin color you have. Jesus cares about a heart. Jesus looks at people's hearts. 
And in our country, we're all being chastised because of this and that and, and uh, you know, treating some people bad and some people not good. Well, if that's true of the church, then we should be ashamed. But it is not true of our church. We look at people's hearts. We care about what's on the inside, not what's on the outside. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus looks at the condition of a person's heart. And if a heart doesn't belong to Jesus, it, 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 ours aches for them. We want them to know. The heart is for Jesus of major importance, not the skin. And yes, it was a Samaritan who came back. And yes, he didn't belong to Israel. But what Jesus saw was a man who had the right heart, a heart that he just gave to Jesus by faith. The other nine religious people had no heart for God. They did not care about the spiritual part of Jesus, even though they were supposed to be spiritual people. And probably when they got clean, they went back to synagogue every week and worshiped God like a pack of hypocrites. Did you notice in the Bible that Jesus ministers to anyone who reaches out to him, but he also tells the truth? When Jesus, in the book of John, uh, you want to look at that with me if you can, John chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, He's right in the middle of Samaria, and he asks, of all things, a Samaritan woman to draw some water for him so he can have a drink. And she does it, and she said, who are you asking me to do that for you? Well, looking down at the story I want to focus in on for just a second, verses 16 through 18, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you are now with is not your husband. Uh, this you have truly said. The woman said, well, you must be a prophet. <laughs> he knew all about her. And he wanted her to go and bring the people from their town so he could minister to them and he could bring salvation to them as well. This Samaritan recognized something special about Jesus like the woman at that well. He is more than just a healer of physical maladies. So I think it's my job, if I'm praying for somebody and they're sick, I also want to ask them about their spiritual life. And if they don't have a spiritual life, that's what they really need. Because no matter whether Jesus heals them or not from this sickness, they're going to have one someday where they're going to die. And they won't be healed. And I want them to be healed in their heart. So then in 17 to 19, we learn that many are ungrateful for Jesus' help, but some find a relationship to him because of his help or because of it. In verse 17, Jesus constantly does gracious things for ungrateful people. I want to look at Matthew 5, 43. Matthew 5, 43. And I want to read uh, down to verse 45. You have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son, S-U-N, to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God in heaven is good to the unbeliever. Why aren't we good to them? That's basically what Jesus is challenging us with. Are we, are we loving those who are our enemies? That's what Jesus did. People don't always respond correctly to the goodness of Jesus. And I want to look at a uh, passage in John, chapter 5, verse 12. So my statement was, 
uh, people don't always respond correctly, that is, in a spiritual way, uh, to Jesus Christ, John 5, 12. That's going to help if I'm in the right passage here. Here we go. They asked the man, so Jesus healed the man, said, pick up your uh, pallet and walk. And they asked him, who's the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him, found the man that he healed in the temple, and he said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse happens to you. Jesus is trying to get the man to see his spiritual need, and he doesn't see it. The man went away and told the Jews, the enemies of Jesus, who wanted to put him to death, that it was Jesus who made him well, because he knew they were looking for him, and he knew what they wanted to do to them, do to him. It, it doesn't make sense, does it? Jesus would heal somebody, and sometimes they don't even say thank you, and sometimes they turn against him, and that happens all the time. Where are they, Jesus said. Why are they not thankful to God? They just got their physical and social lives back for nothing, free of cost. Would it be too much to be grateful for what God has done? Would it be too much to enter into a relationship with him? Apparently for those nine, it was. I've told you about a guy before, years ago, that I was praying for and praying with him. He didn't like God, didn't want to hear about Jesus, but I just kept working on him and working on him. And uh, one day we were praying for a healing uh, of his, and, and the Lord did heal him. I believe that. I believe the Lord healed him because he was healed against the odds. And I thought, wow, this is, this is powerful. This is going to be great. So I went back and talked to him about it. And basically I said, well, let's just thank God for what he's done for you. And he says, I'm, I'm not thanking God. I did this. Jesus had nothing to do with it. I couldn't convince him otherwise. And I didn't get very far with him spiritually. In verse 18, there was only this foreigner who cared enough to show his gratitude to God in his life. I wonder what the Savior felt when nine of the people that he chose on the earth to be his people walked away or ran away and one guy that really didn't have a whole lot of reason to love Jesus decided to love him and thank him. The implication is that the nine were all Jews, open to spiritual things, but apparently not. The word for thanks here is to show one meeting an obligation. This guy felt what Jesus did for him obliged him to say thank you and also to trust in him and worship him, to express appreciation for the benefits and the blessing that Jesus gave. That's what that word thanks means. The absence of thanks was a typical response Jesus ran into all the time. The nine were ungrateful for the work of God in their lives. And we see that also. I don't have time to read them, but in Luke 6.35 and 2 Timothy uh, three two where it talks about uh, in the end times people will just be among other things ungrateful ungrateful for what God has done and then they don't believe in God people who are ungrateful to God in this context are people who won't be going to heaven could I ask I wonder how much of what happens to you and I in our life every day do you credit yourself for Maybe you did something, you say, wow, I did a great job on that, that's good. And how much do you think that those events really should be giving, we should be giving credit to Jesus for? Do you really accomplish anything? Do I really accomplish anything without Jesus? The answer biblically is no. So why shouldn't he get thanked for everything? 
Verse 19, the Samaritan's faith brought him to a whole different level of blessing. It brought him eternal life with Jesus. I feel so sorry for people who just want Jesus to heal their physical problem, but are unconcerned about where he could take them in life by fixing their spiritual problem, not just their physical. Faith makes all the difference. Dr. Daryl Box says at this place, and I quote, all he, meaning Jesus, all he asks is that we approach him humbly and on his terms, recognizing that he is ready to help, ready to help. I have never seen Jesus not ready to help somebody. I've seen people that refuse to let Jesus help them. Believers appreciate his activity in their lives every minute. We glorify God over all that he does, which is everything. We are his grateful children, and we don't need a day in our nation's calendar to remind us of that. We do it every day. We are his grateful children. We desire a deeper relationship with him. We, we may ask him to heal us, and if he doesn't, we, we don't care. It's okay, because we have the greatest of all healings. We know we always have that. Whatever God wants to do with us, we're okay with Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus was constantly thanking his Father in heaven in his prayers and the way he talked while he lived on this earth? (laughs) That seems strange, doesn't it? God praying to the Father, God. God looking for directions from God. And events taking place, and God thanks God for what he did because Jesus is God. And I'm just thinking this way. If Jesus thought it necessary to constantly be thanking his Father for what the Father is doing in his life, then it must be important. How much more important is it for us? That's the issue. Well, here's some applications for us. Number one, Thanksgiving, and I'm talking about in terms of the holiday, for us is about reminding us, about reminding us that giving thanks is a way to worship our God and deepen our relationship with him. Thanksgiving is a part of worship. And then I wanted to read uh, just one verse that is familiar with with all of you out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, where we are commanded by Paul, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. For everything, give thanks. So I know I'm uh, just maybe maybe a minute over. I could set my clock back five minutes and I'd be on time if you want me to. But I'd like to just pause and in silence allow you to take a minute or two and just thank Jesus for all the things he's done for you or maybe a big list of them. Then I'll close in prayer. Would you do that with me? Heavenly Father, it's my prayer that our thanksgiving would continue, not just through this day or this week, but every day. 
Thank you for strength and mercy, compassion, for grace, for food, for water, for a place to have a shelter. Thank you for wisdom and knowledge and understanding in the word of God so that we might live in a way that pleases you because that's our goal, number one. And we thank, thank you that you allow us to be your children and that you have made that possible. May we give our lives to you. Thank you for using us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.